Hi, I'm Bert Navarre from The Neck, and you're listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast with Robert Miller. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream, and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream podcast with listeners in 200 countries. I'm Robert Miller, your host. My guest today is James Lowe, the lead singer of the Electric Prunes, the psychedelic 60s band which hit the big time with the song I Had Too Much to Dream Last Night. I like that song so much that my high school band, the Buccaneers, had it in our set list. I kid you not. The Prunes had another hit with the song Get Me to the World on Time, which I don't think you can confuse with that song with a similar title from My Fair Lady. <laughs> Afterwards, James went on to work for Todd Rundgren, first as a recording engineer and later as a producer. And listen to this. He's a descendant of Professor T.S.C. Lowe, an American Civil War aeronaut, scientist, and inventor who's known as the father of military aerial reconnaissance. Can you believe the amount of research that we do on this podcast? Very impressive, isn't it? <laughs> and in the middle of this episode, like I do with all my guests, we're going to do a song fest. We're going to play a handful of James's big hits, a little bit of them. We're going to talk about them. You get the backstories, and nobody else does this in podcasts. And you also know by now that I feature a song of mine underneath the introduction and at the end of every episode, and I always try to make the song relevant somehow to my guest. And in this instance, I've chosen the song Cousins from the album Trippin'. That's the one that my band put out that went to number one on Billboard. And I chose this song because I just mentioned James's descendant, the professor, who I thought may have been his cousin. So I thought that that worked. So James Lowe, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast, baby. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you here. All right, I got to ask you, probably for the three millionth time, how'd you come up with the name Electric Prunes? I love that name. <laughs> well, do you really want me to tell you? Go ahead, go. Okay. We had um, a couple of days until we released our, uh, our first record. Ain't It Hard was the first one we released. And they said, you've got to have a name. We were calling ourselves Jim and the Lords, but we knew we didn't want that name. And so we were in this, our garage rehearsal space for the weekend. And, uh, you know, when you're trying to come up with a name, everything is a name. So somebody said electric prunes. <laughs> and what's purple and goes buzz buzz was a joke. And the answer was an electric prune. Well, our bass player told us that stupid joke. And I said, that's got to be the name, the electric prunes. Well, they all, of course, didn't, you know, didn't respond to it. But Dave Hassinger took that name to Warner Brothers, and uh, he came back to me. He hated it. He came back to me, and he said, guess what? Warner Brothers loved the name. So 
from then on, it was the electric prunes. I know it's a goofy one, but uh, you remembered it. I remembered, of course. And you know, you, you reminded me the same way that you guys came up with your name. I think Moby Grape came up with their name because that was also a joke. You know, what's purple in the bottom of the ocean? And the answer was Moby Grape. Okay. And that worked for them too. It did. Peter Lewis, a good friend of ours. He, he actually played in our band. He's a great guy. Listen, you guys hit it at this great time in 60s rock and roll when the whole psychedelic era went into being. You know, one of the other songs that we played in my band was the Blues Magoos. They had We Ain't Seen Nothing Yet. And Iron Butterfly was doing Inagata de Vida. How did you guys get into that kind of psychedelic rock thing? Was that your bag or was that somebody else? Well, the idea of electric in our name was supposedly effects and electronic sounds and electronic uh, an approach. And um, when we recorded Too Much to Dream, you would think everybody responded to it, but they didn't. They said, well, that's kind of nice, but where, where's he going to play a song like that? Who's going to play a record like that? Because it was so different sounding from from everything. We ain't got nothing yet. Is got you know it sounds like a record, uh, and it got a Davida maybe not. It was as crazy as ours. So we were trying to to uh, not listen to everybody else and try to do something on our own. That's what that came from. Just wondering, did the record break through one disc jockey, or how did it start to climb the charts? It did. It uh, in Seattle. Pat O'Day started playing our record and uh, really laid on it heavy. And he's the one that got us started. From then on, we started getting other stations and stuff. We never were a hit in New York. There were a few stations that resisted. I don't know why. I guess they just didn't like prunes or something. Or I can't say. I've heard this story so many times before on this podcast with guys from the 60s that it just started with one disc jockey in some random location that got behind the song and from there the ball started rolling right and if somebody unafraid to go ahead and stand up for something you know in front of everybody else and and not be afraid of being ridiculed i i, I love pat o'day i thought he was great well you know also back then in am radio or even at the beginning of fm radio the disc jockeys had so much control over what they played. Yeah. You know, it, it was up to them as to what the playlists were. Now, of course, it's all like, you know, automated or, you know, systematized. It's terrible. And radio doesn't mean as much as it did back then. But in those days, the disc jockeys were in control. Wouldn't you agree? 
Absolutely. And that was always the issue with them is whether or not they could play their playlist at the station they were at. You know, sometimes they'd get moved somewhere else if they didn't play what the station was uh, was what was in their playlist. Well, you're probably right. But, you know, I want to disagree with one thing you just said. You said it didn't work in New York. Well, I grew up in New York and I'm telling you the song worked in New York. OK. <laughs> OK, <laughs> I'll take that. You have fans in New York, no question about it. All right. So in my research here, I read something about you're from Hawaii originally. Is that true? No, no, no. I'm from born and raised in California. Uh, I went to Hawaii to to uh, surf when I was uh, in a senior in high school. Just for a while to surf? Is that it? Well, I was stayed there. I ended up staying on, you know, as you do when you're in a par in paradise. And I ended up staying on there for a while, maybe a half year, something like that. Right. And you like Dick Dale and his music. Am I correct about that? I sure did. Yeah. We. I was living for a while on the peninsula in, uh, in Newport Beach. And Dick used to play at the Rendezvous Ballroom every weekend. So, And he had a little shop right by my house where he had all his amplifiers hooked into each other. And he'd sit in that shop and play, you know, play Miserloo or whatever. And uh, the sound was amazing. You know, he was one of the first people that really got me interested in the guitar and what the guitar could do with, with the right effects on it. Well, he was one of those guitar players that, you know, most people didn't really know who Dick Dale was, but the guys that were on the inside knew about Dick Dale and the surf music and that whole thing that he was doing. Yes, it was amazing because when he would play at the rendezvous, he would he would play the trumpet he would play the drums. He would play the guitar, and he just did everything well. It was just nothing that was sounded like it was second seat to him, you know. Very cool. Hi, everybody. This is Robert Miller, your host. It's finally spring here in the United States. So I'm playing my song, Spring Dance, underneath this message. Spring is a time for renewal and growth. And I've just begun the third year of this podcast. It's been quite a ride so far. Over 170 episodes, more than 800,000 downloads, ranked in the top 1% of all podcasts with listeners in 200 countries. My guests have included famous musicians, actors, directors, broadcasters, corporate CEOs, and others. My goal with each is to have fun and entertain you, the audience. And of course, to inspire you to follow and succeed at your dream. As a professional musician, with a dozen highly acclaimed albums and millions of video views and streams, I infuse my music into each episode. And the podcast has allowed me to introduce my music to a worldwide audience. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to the podcast 
so you get each episode when it airs. And also, please sign up for our weekly emails, which keep you up to date on everything. The links are in the show notes to each episode. And also, please check out our website at followyourdreampodcast.com. I want to thank you all for listening and keep on rocking. All right, so we're going to go back and play some of the songs that you did with the prunes, if I may call them that. Let's start off with your big hit, I Had Too Much to Dream Last Night. Tell me what your thoughts and impressions are of that one all these years later. Well, I thought it was a hit. From the minute we started working on it, I thought it was a hit. But other people didn't respond. So it was an example of wait and wait and wait, and then something happens with it. So musically, you know, we did it in sections. We didn't do the whole thing all at once. We did little pieces of it and hooked it all together. We recorded some stuff at Leon Russell's house and we used a piece from there for the beginning. And so it was a kind of a, a construction. But once it all got together, it's kind of like we were listening to it for the first time, where most of the stuff you do isn't that way. You're, you know, you're playing an arrangement. So this, once we got it all finished, uh, we got to listen to it. So for me, I, I thought it was a good record. We're kind of breaking new ground like we talked about earlier, okay? The whole psychedelic era of the 60s, that's when you guys were happening. And like you said, the beginning had this kind of really interesting introduction to it. Tell me how that came about. Did you guys write this? Did you guys put it together? Was it your producer? What was the construction? I guess the idea of it was uh, from the beginning, nobody knew what that sound was at the beginning. Ken Williams had been playing around with his guitar and we recorded going forward on a four track and then we'd flip the tape over and record going the other way to just to save money because we didn't have money to buy rolls of tape. And uh, one of the uh, engineers didn't at Leon Russell's house didn't push the record button. And so we got left with the tail end of something backward, which is kind of hard to understand. But once I heard that sound, it came in the studio accidentally and it just was the speakers were so loud, it overwhelmed us. And I went in the control room and I said, Whatever that was, cut that off. We're going to use it for something, even though we were going to do too much to dream at that time. But we kept that roll of, uh, of tape with that intro sound on it. And when we came to do too much to dream, I said, now we've got a place to use that sound. Now, it reminded me of the feedback 
thing that John Lennon did on uh, I Feel Fine. Because that started out with that little feedback thing that was reminiscent to me of how you guys started this tune. Well, it is, I guess. Yeah. In a way, it's feedback. Sure. Anyway, it worked. It worked, man. Okay, let's go to the second one. Get me to the world on time. Tell us about that one. I think uh, the girls that wrote this, Annette Tucker and Nancy Mance, I think it was uh, put on for Get Me to the Church on Time or something. Uh, <laughs> I was never really sure about it. I always thought it should have some kind of guitar solo or something in it. But it's just uh, Bo Diddley pounding, you know, is, is what makes the, uh, the record go. And um, it came out okay, I think. A little noisy, but okay. <laughs> a little noisy. Did it go up the charts for you guys? I don't know. It ended something like 28 or something like that. Anything to get on the charts was good enough. You know, if you could get two records on the charts, you're not a one-hit wonder. <laughs> That's exactly right. You didn't want to be a one-hit wonder. All right, let's go to the third one. I love the name on this one, The Great Banana Hoax. Tell me about this. Okay. If you remember back in 1967, I think it was, there was a rumor going around that if you fried banana peels and scraped that stuff off the inside of the banana peel, that you could get high from it. Okay, forget this. Come on. <laughs> well, I don't know. Some people go, what? I never heard of that. But that was the uh, the rumor going around. Well, we tried it, of course. As wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I have to correct you a little bit because there was a little nuance in there that you left out. And that was, there was that song by Donovan, okay, that had bananas in the song, okay? Electric banana. Electric banana is gonna be a sudden craze. Right. To me, that's how I heard it, that it was the combination of his song kind of giving the pathway to do what you just said with the bananas. I like your story better. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I thought it was a hoax. We thought that love was a hoax at that time. And then uh, bananas worked in fine. I thought it was a great idea for, a, for an international joke, or at least for an American joke. And so the Great Banana Hoax was uh, was titled. All right. 
So when you guys were in your heyday, were you out on tour? Did you play with some of the other great bands of that era? We did. We we did. We went all around, played around with the Beach Boys and Cream and oh no, I can't go through the litany of people. We played with with just about everybody. You were on a bill with Cream, huh? Yes. Cream and Steppenwolf and somebody else. That's a great bill. Santa Monica Civic Auditorium. <laughs> some of these things you remember and some of them you don't that's what people think how was cream you know well they were in their dressing room and we were in our dressing room <laughs> so we got to play with jack bruce once again when we came back and started playing again in kent england so it was good to see him and he was in good form that's a fantastic story all right so Let's go beyond the electric prunes. And you started working for Todd Rundgren. How did that come about? I quit the band in 68. And um, I started working around at some studios doing some engineering for people. And uh, I had been working at a studio and Todd came in with his manager. And I think the rest, some of the other guys were there with him from NAS. And they were looking for a place to record and someone to record with, I guess. Todd said their engineer had fallen asleep in their in their recordings they did back in Philly. So he just asked if I could stay awake. And I said, well, if the music's good, I'll stay awake. So <laughs> it was the main criteria. <laughs> yeah. And we started uh, we started recording together. We did Naz Naz was the first thing that I did with him. Then Naz three, then ballad, and I something anything and yeah, I did did quite a number of records with him. Good times. He was a great artist back then. Something Anything was one of my favorite albums in that era. So nice to know that you worked on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, I think the, he had an East Coast sound. And the West Coast people were kind of resistant to it, you know. Nobody I knew knew who he was when we were recording I did four or five albums with him and nobody, who, who's this guy? And, uh, but I've been working with Van Dyke Parks and, uh, and Ry Cooter and those people. So Todd knew that I probably could do what he wanted me to do. Well, you know what? He was a great artist at that time. And then he became a producer himself. Right. I had Mark Farner from Grand Funk Railroad on the podcast. And he was telling me how uh, one of their albums at least was, being produced by Todd Rundgren. In fact, he told the story about how the locomotion was recorded by Grand Funk. Okay, they were out in the street singing together in a group, and all of a sudden, Todd Rundgren came out of the studio, heard what was going on, and said, guys, you got to come in the studio and do this right now. And that's how <laughs> they got the locomotion recorded. Todd was always singing that song. He loved that song. He was always singing Locomotion. So he'd sit at the piano and play play that song. So I wasn't surprised when I heard them do it. I'm wondering if he did it with Badfinger. I don't know the answer to that one. I don't know. <laughs> but you wound up doing uh, some production for him as well. Am I correct? Right. For Bearsville Records. Yeah, for his company. Uh, and we did an album together called Sparks. And um, I think he went on to do something else. He he had a, another job or something. He said, do you want to do the second one? So 
the Woofer and Tweeter's clothing was my that was my album with Sparks. So yeah. All right. Well, listen, it was a heck of an era to go through. And, uh, you know, you guys had a piece of that era, as I've started out saying here. And for me, that whole psychedelic scene, you know, people don't play this stuff as much anymore, but it was a big part of that era. So congratulations to you that you rode the top of the charts with that song. Thank you, Robert. That's very nice of you to say. We've been talking here with James Lowe of the Electric Prunes, one of the great names of the of the rock era. I want to thank you, James, for being on this podcast and for uh, telling everybody what happened back then. Thank you for giving me your time, Robert. I appreciate it very much. All right. And we're now going to listen to that song called Cousins, the one that I wrote for the album Trippin'. I want to thank you all for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. Take care now. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com and you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com. Music